fly. Up, up, and away, Web! Shazam! Go! Go! Go, Web, go! So, Parth, what have you been eating? Thanks for asking me, Trent. Uh, it never gets tired. Nice to see you, by the way. Yeah, no problem. Um, I had Cinnamon Toast Crunch uh, at 3 in the afternoon. How about you? Um, I just had, I'm currently drinking a, a chai latte, and I had a croissant. We have a guest here today. Am I am I wrong? Who are, It's a film school rival, and Pierre, Alex Lane, welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, I guess that's how... I guess that's how we're classifying me. Hello, I am. I it's your am first Alex. appearance. Well, what have you Welcome. had? Yeah, what have you been eating? Well, what have I had? Uh, chicken dumpling soup out of a can. Out of a can. Uh, and then I drank like four bottles of water, but like it was yeah. can. And then I put it into a. Do bowl. you not believe in reusable water bottles? Um, I. What are you trying to cue say? the intro? So let's not turn this into a gotcha thing. <laughs> Welcome back to Craft Services. What do we talk about, Trent? The movies. This is our show. It's a podcast about the movies. Each week we talk about a film. Hopefully we have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. Last week we had Steve Arnold. What was he, Trent? Tell me. This supervising art director, and he worked on, you know, Mindhunter and, and Fear and Loathing and Forrest Gump. And, you know, a bunch of movies that you should care about. Yeah. And uh, he was an interesting, nice young man. What a gentleman. He, he was. And you should listen to that episode. He was really great. And you should check that out. That's out now on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We have a guest, I guess, don't we? It seems that way. Okay. I, I suppose. Okay. Are you chiming in already? All right. Trent, uh, what, what are we talking about today again? Uh, Sam Raimi's 2002 Spider-Man movie. Uh, let me read the synopsis. When bitten by a genetically modified spider, a nerdy, shy, and awkward high school student gains spider-like abilities that he eventually must use to fight evil as a superhero after tragedy befalls his family. Uh, this movie had a budget of $139 million and a box office of $825 million. And it was also the first movie ever to make $100 million in, uh, in its opening weekend. Trent, do you mind if I give some production history to this movie? Please. In the 80s, Joseph Zito and Tom Cruise had a $7 million budget to potentially make a movie uh, about the titular character. That ended up going nowhere. James Cameron became attached to write and direct a movie based on Spider-Man after Stan Lee convinced him uh, to do so. He submitted a treatment in 1993 that had a dark adult take on the character, and he had Leonardo DiCaprio in mind for the role. That ended up going nowhere after Canon Films went bankrupt, and then the Sony studio lined up uh, Roland, Roland Emmerich, Tim Burton, Tony Scott, Chris Columbus, Ang Lee, Dave Fincher, Jan DeBont, and M. Night Shyamalan as potential directors. Fun fact, David Fincher didn't want to do the origin story. He wanted to do a movie about the night Gwen Stacy died, uh, the storyline in the comics, but the studio didn't want that. So after 
All of these directors said no, or the studio said no to these directors. Sam Raimi became attached to direct in January of 2000. Uh, David Kep created the first draft of the screenplay, um, and it was rewritten a little bit f- by Alvin Sargent, though I think he's uncredited. Um, some fun facts about the movie. Uh, April In April, about four of the Spider-Man costumes were stolen. Sony put up $25,000 in reward for their return, and they were recovered 18 months later and a former movie studio security guard and his accomplice were arrested. Stage 27 was used for the Times Square sequence in the movie, and they built a three-story set with a breakaway balcony piece. Shots were complicated because Spider-Man has a red and blue color scheme and Green Goblin had a green color scheme, so they had to be shot separately with both... Uh, with Spider-Man having green screen and Green Goblin having blue screen, and Parth, let me, uh, let me, you, you can rest your voice while while I read the the final bullet points. Okay. Uh, so there there are a few deleted scenes. Uh, the first one was Spider-Man protecting the character of Fargus, who I guess is the board member in the wheelchair at you know at Oscorp, and I'm glad that was cut because I mean we have no you know, emotional attachment to that character. And then the other one was a train scene, uh, which they cut and then clearly uh, used that inspiration in Spider-Man 2. And then uh, this movie lost best movie at the Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Awards to Austin Powers' Goldmember, the worst of the Austin Powers movies. And it was nominated for two Oscars and uh, didn't, uh, for sound and VFX, didn't win any of those either. Parts, should we do once our reviews? Yes, my... Is this my favorite segment, Trent? Uh, there are four. Uh, I hope no one minds. I, I don't mean to take up too much of your time. The first one is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Fantastic. I will recommend some movies which are also fantastic. These are A-Team, Pirates of, Pirates of the Caribbeans, World War Z, Man in Black, and many more. So the funny thing about this is it's a one-star review, and it's it's glowing. And then... He just says it's great and then names a bunch of other movies that are great. So Oliver Menner uh, wrote, There was not enough action in this movie. There was too much romance. To me, this was one of those movies that seemed like it was 10 hours and 45 minutes, and it was just too classic. I just don't see what is so good about this Spider-Man movie. So this next one... Uh, I believe his Spider-Man was very good, but he didn't crawl like a spider, and he didn't show enough emotion in specific scenes, and I like Spider-Man, just how web-shooting out of your wrist come, oh no, they could have done better, too many villains for Spider-Man 3. So they kind of divert into a Spider-Man 3 review during the Spider-Man 1 review, which seems kind of beside the point. But Alex, it's your turn now. And oh, the reviewer is by someone named Alex. Yeah, it's, it's fitting, right? Well, here is a review from a year ago by uh, Alex D. Uh, it's, it's a brief one. This show is awesome, two spaces, and it's so cool. <laughs> Which is funny. An- another positive I, review. Don't... It's a movie. Yeah. I think, I think they may have thought this was like golf, where it's like, oh, the lower, like, it's, it's better. You want the lower oh. score. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I think that makes a lot uh-huh. of sense. So, uh... Enough about that. We uh, we watched Spider Man. We did, uh, and I guess it would be time to discuss it. Um, wait, but before we get into that, 
Do you guys know of the like the Twin Towers Spider-Man trailer that was then like I do. pulled? Have you watched it? Because no. I watched it for the yes. first time today, I've seen it. and it's wild. What what happens? Does Spider-Man go like, "Oh, gee, I sure hope they don't well, blow well, up." Well, none of months. it was from the movie itself. It was clearly done as like second unit and like really kind of bad visual effects, and it just like tease out that a Spider-Man movie was happening. And I, it's like the open, some sort the, of the opening is like it's like a it's almost like shot like it's Mike from Michael Bay, and it's, it's yeah like it's a like bunch an of... elaborate like bank heist yeah. that kind of has nothing to do with anything. And then you know the criminals try to get away in a helicopter, and then you just see the helicopter get like pulled out of the sky, and then you see it hung in a web between the twin towers, and then you see Spider Man you know, swinging around a little bit. And clearly it was all just, like, show off the VFX. But it was released, like, a right. year before... It was released clearly before 2000... Or, like, pre-9... Or what was it... It Was it made before well, no, 2001? It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was pre-9-11. It was, in, it was, it was in 2001. It just wasn't... It was pre-9-11. Yeah. But, well, I'm wondering, yeah. like, did no, it, it was air it was, before it was, 9-11? Or they made it and no, then it was aired. No, it was aired in 2001. Like, people saw it in okay. theaters. I read Sam Raimi say that the Twin Towers and this, you know like bank heists were gonna somehow be involved in the movie but the idea was scrapped entirely just because you know they, they thought it would be in poor there's, taste there's one shot in which you can see the twin towers um and it's it's during it's during the montage where um spider-man like the montage where spider-man's become spider-man for the first time it zooms out from his eye and you can see the reflection of the twin towers I read that from the like the original cut, it was digitally scrubbed from the background yeah. of every scene. But then on the Blu-ray, it was reinserted back in. Is that true? It's in the skyline. I don't think again? it's in the skyline I, again. Being honest here, I, I watched the movie about a month ago, and that's what I'm going on with my experiences here. I mean, I'd seen it previously, but I watched like the like whatever the newest Blu-ray I, release was, and I do not recall yeah. there being a, a suspicious no, amount I, of I don't the think Twin that's Towers. True. I think that might have been a plan or something, but I don't think that's true. Uh, so enough of that. Uh, the 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 real movie happened. Uh, we were all young boys. I'd say we were the target audience for this movie. Parth, we recently posted you in you know your Spider-Man decor. So uh, I would imagine this uh, this hits home. Yeah. So I think this is kind of the template for a superhero origin movie. The only other movie that I think does it as good as this is Batman Begins. I know Trent is not a Batman Begins fan, but I think that this is really, really good. I think this is kind of, um, it's not perfect, but it it's one of the most stylistic movies of this scale. I think it's kind of crazy that they let Sam Raimi do certain things. I, I'm, I'm still shocked that this was allowed to happen. Um, and I think it's amazing to me how influential this movie still is when you look at the superhero movies that come out nowadays because the superhero template didn't really exist until this movie came out and there were superhero movies that came out before this that were successful but none of them really i think informed the structure 
of a superhero movie as much as this did. And I I, I, I love the movie, but... Yeah, it, inadvertently, this laid the groundwork for what would become Iron Man, which would then become, you know, our modern MCU. I mean, my earliest memory of this movie is my dad bringing home a cardboard cutout from the movie theater because they were screening, you know, Spider-Man, and then he asked if he could take it home, and then that was... It hung over my bed for many years, so... It was nice to have a watchful protector. What what happened? It's to still it? in my closet at home. Nice, cool. Um, but th- this is one of my most rewatched movies. It's uh, I at any moment this can be on in the background, and it's just like the most soothing white noise to me. Uh, I'll, I I'd say. I had a pretty loose relationship and understanding as a kid, besides liking the flashing colors and that comes with a Spider-Man movie. But I feel like my adult relationship has has blossomed. Um, yeah, I really I really like this movie a lot. I hadn't seen it in a long, long time. Um, I have no idea when the last time I watched it was before, like a month ago. Um, I really, really liked it. Uh, I thought the I was kind of surprised by like how much of the movie was dedicated to being an origin movie because I'm kind of used to like. It- the Marvel structure of like, oh, this is the first Doctor Strange movie, so it has to be his origin, but then we also have to, you know, set up all this other stuff or whatever, or like worry about other things. So I was kind of almost taken aback by like, oh, he's just like a dude in this movie for like a long yeah. time. Yeah, it, it's like it, it, it's really like pretty refreshing. much the first half before he's before he's really officially yeah. Spider Man. Like by by the time, you know, Uncle Ben is killed, a, a lot a lot has transpired. And I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I really like one of my favorite aspects of the movie, and it, part of it is because it's a little reactive because of how many superhero movies we get, but, like, the majority of this movie is just a soap opera. Um, it's all setting up characters and intertwining them in soap opera drum- dramatic ways. Um, the majority of this movie is, like, Peter Parker being kind of sad, or Peter Parker trying to confess his love to Mary Jane or like it's it's not really too much about the mechanics of how do I stop the villain plot which doesn't really exist for the majority of the movie a a small compliment I thought while watching the movie is you know it opens with like everyone on the bus and Peter chasing the bus and then the bus takes them straight to the museum for like their field trip, which is unrealistic because, you know, the bus would take you first to school and then a secondary bus would then take you to the field trip. You know, in the next two generations of Spider-Man movie, when establishing the character, there would be 15 minutes of Peter like eating shit around the high school and everyone calling him names. But I like that this movie, it just jumps straight into it. Within the first 10 minutes, Peter is like bitten by the radioactive spider and then we go from there. But uh, and I, I think the casting of Tobey Maguire. I think people like to shit on Tobey Maguire, but I hundred percent think he's the best Spider-Man. So, so his his age. I mean, I I agree that in terms of nerdiness, that is you know the foundation of Peter Parker, and both Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland are way too good looking, and Tobey Maguire, besides being twenty seven, I agree is a perfect fit. Yeah. I mean, Andrew. Aren't Andrew, Andrew Garfield, Garfield was, was older. I mean, how old he was, was he? Twenty nine. He was twenty eight or twenty nine. Yeah. And Tom Holland. Tom Holland is the right age. He's just like too charming. I don't. I don't even have a problem with that. I mean, I don't want to get too much into the Spider Man discourse of it all. I, I think people make too big of a deal. I mean, like halfway through the movie, he graduates high school and is in college. So, like, I don't. I don't. I feel like the he's too old to be in high school thing is kind of baseless because. 
for two and a half movies he's not in high school. Um, but beyond that, I like that there's a concerted effort to make him like the dopiest looking motherfucker out there. Because I think something that other adaptations of Spider-Man and of just superheroes in general is I think they're a little too scared to make them not cool. And I know that Spider-Man in the comics maybe isn't as dopey and um, quiet as he is in the Sam Raimi movies, but I think they take that idea and give an adaptation of it. Whereas the other the other versions seem more reactive in that, oh, the Sam Raimi ones didn't do that, so now we have to make him a lot more quippy. And I think Tobey Maguire is pretty quippy in the suit. I mean, I think he's fun. I agree. Yeah. Well, th- that's the, like in all DC movies nowadays, all the characters are gods, and so like it's impossible for them to be relatable when like the when the protagonist is Aquaman, and then well, and then, yeah. and then for Marvel, it's like they're all too too quippy. Like they're supposed to be normal people who have superpowers. But still, and I, I, like I, none, none of them are as objectively lame as as Peter Parker. And I like that they make him. He doesn't. He's not like like really clever or quippy or whatever. He he's from he's from like a working class neighborhood, like working class family. He's raised by two old people. I mean, this is getting into the weeds a little bit. But I, as a long time Spider Man fan, I thought today, wait, where's Spider Man's parents at? And, uh, Parth, do you want to explain to the humble viewer where, where they are at? It's never explained in these movies. Um, there's a few explanations in the comics. And in the Amazing Spider-Man uh, movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess the... Oh, yeah. I guess the thing that's become most mainstream, and I want to give Alex a chance to speak once I'm done about the movie. Peter Parker's parents, there's a few different versions. Uh, I guess the most prevalent one now is that they were scientists and they worked for Oscorp or some science type thing. And they were like spy agents or something. And so that's why they left Peter. And that's, I don't, again, that's sort of changed more with like the ultimate comics or whatever. But I like that that, isn't a factor in these movies because I like that it makes it it's it's like he's just a guy. His parents aren't anything. He doesn't come from anything. He's smart and he's nice and he wants to do good. He he feels it feels too like preordained, like almost like like oh your parents were amazing scientists that worked for Oscorp and then were like assassinated or or had to leave or whatever. So that's kind of like it kind of plays into a, a trope that I really don't like in a lot of superhero stuff, which you is You were like, meant for this. Oh, you were always... Yeah, like, you were always meant to be great. You were always meant to be super powerful, which is completely antithetical to what yeah, should and, be. Yeah, and, I, and I, I also like that... I mean, people... I guess we can talk about comic accuracy if we want to. Oh, who but, cares? Come on, man. No, but that's what I was going to bring up, is that I think... People like to talk about the minutia of comic ac- comic accuracy because I remember when the Amazing Spider-Man trailer came out and they're like, "Oh my God, web shooters!" And it's like, mm. who gives a shit? Yeah. And and like it, a I think it makes sense that if you get all the powers of a spider, why wouldn't you have like web powers? We've suspended our disbelief that far. Like like I don't think it's unbelievable. And B, I, I think that they there, there's actually if you look in certain trailers they had made web shooters um and and shot some footage with web shooters and then digitally removed them um because they decided to just do it 
as organic webbing. But that's the type of thing where it's like we are adapting source material. We are creating our own version of this. And if you look at the way New York looks and feels and how how the color the like how colorful it is and how the characters talk, it feels like the tone and feeling of those 1960s Spider-Man comics. It may not literally be what happens in those comics. I mean, Gwen Stacy is his original love interest and he doesn't meet Harry or MJ until he's in college. And I mean, all these are, well, MJ he meets in high school, but, but all these things don't matter. Well, I think it's also (laughs) just because comics are such a malleable medium when it comes to storytelling. Like they're, they're 50 different, spider-man origin stories and 50 different spider-men and you know some of them are from different universes some of them are from the future some of them are from the past but there's also like 30 that are all just kind of existing at one time or whatever so it's like if if this was like the adaptation of a book you know and, and they changed a lot of these aspects like okay i could maybe understand being upset about it but it's it's just another interpretation of spider-man there's no one spider-man that everybody holds up to like this degree of like yes this is the spider-man of which all other ones yes are there is on. there's mcu spider-man oh, tom holland sorry okay yeah <laughs> so uh the opening credits to this movie i'm not sure when like five minute long cgi credit sequences went extinct but i have to say I, i'm grateful yeah. because uh, n- i disagree nowadays, Every movie of this nature would do, you know, just like an upbeat song with, uh, you know, some flashy colors and end credits. And I appreciate it because I can walk out of the theater. I completely agree. I, I love the opening credits to this movie. I think they're good. I, I'm just saying in general, long opening credit sequences have, uh, are, yes. you know, uh, well, here's, ha- have lost their here's edge. Here's the thing. I agree with you, except for the fact that they've only lost their edge because people don't understand what's good about them. And that's why... Tell, tell us what's good about it. Well, them. I think that the... the a, I, I know it's like ambiance. Yeah, I, 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 it's almost like an overture before, like... Mm. Uh, 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 that's actually a good yeah, way to put and, it. And, like, that's how I would sort of see it. And uh, A, you need to have good score. And Danny Elfman's score is... That's my Spider-Man music. I, I, I don't... I, I think it's the most well thought out of all of them. And I think what sets it apart from the others, and the only one that gets, that gets closest for me, is James Horner's score for The Amazing Spider-Man. What he gets right is that it has to be fun, but it also has to have sadness because at the heart of it, Spider-Man is kind of inherently lonely and he's guilt-ridden and he's sad. And that doesn't mean uh, the movie's very fun, but you can't forget that. And I think this is the only Spider-Man theme that keeps the sadness along with the sort of triumphant whatever. So while we're talking about the score, which I agree is excellent, all of the, uh, like, the the assembled, you know, pre-recorded songs are, like, early 2000s, like, alt-rock, and they have not aged well. Oh, boy. No. Oh, boy. But they're not in the film, which is is helpful in making the movie more timeless. I think, I think... Well, it's the end credit sequence, and one at, after Peter wins the cage cage match. There is a don't, really don't forget you, Macy Gray ho- in the Times transition. Square. But yes, I, I'm, I'm okay with movies not having um, rock albums. <laughs> I just when I their think, movies don't necessitate. There's them. only so many times where I can watch a movie where the first four minutes are a smash mouth song as the camera is moving in and out of like the character's like symbol or logo or whatever 
Like, I can only take that yeah. so many times, and I feel like it's not an inherently bad thing. Like, I'll take it over, like, <laughs> this is apples to oranges here, but, like, Lawrence of Arabia starts with, like, a six-minute just song overture over Black because it's supposed to be, like, you know, when people are filling into their seats and stuff before the movie starts, so you know it's going to be beginning. So, like, yes, technically, when you're watching it on a DVD in your house, ooh, we're flying through the Spider-Man logo, or, like, there are webs shooting over, like, yes, that's more visually engaging. But it, it's still, like, I'm still going to want to skip over it, if I'm being honest. And I, I still think that, like, we have to remember that this movie is now almost 20 years old this like if you look at what the credits i I listened i know trent you also did but we i listened to the commentary track and they wanted to do the uh, opening credits for this movie with uh they wanted to show spider-man but not show spider-man because they wanted to keep the suit reveal for later in the movie and if you you have to realize like if you're in the movie theater and you've never seen a spider-man movie and then, which odds are like you haven't, of, uh, you know, in two thousand and two, yeah, it, 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 nothing existed. Yeah, there was I mean, there, there was, was like the, the TV what, like, show one where he's hitting the wrench on yeah. the ground and he has ropes shooting out of his wrists. Wasn't there like like Japanese Spider-Man, yeah, there was which isn't Spider-Man? Yeah, I think building that anticipation is really nice, and I think the first one is maybe my least favorite of the credit sequences. But I think, I mean, we'll talk about them later. But the next two movies have great opening credits. I was just going to say, this is trivial, but I think the opening credits for the second one is great because it's like the drawings of the still frames from the first one. And then I think the credits from the third one are kind of lame because it's more or less just like screen grabs. But I know they didn't want to do portraits again. Yeah, I, I, I think that like it sets the tone and that it's like it's fun, but it's a little sad, but it's kind of sweet. Parth, you were talking about... Uh, you know the the reveal of uh, of the spider suit, which can be equated to like how people were literally losing their fucking minds when like to see the Tim Burton Batman trailer yeah. in the eighties. In this universe, Peter, like I understand, he makes the the wrestling costume. Sure, that seems like something a high school student might be capable of. Well, it's not a very and good one. And the, the no no no, I, I'm saying that is realistic. Oh, okay. And like in the. In the new installment, Tony Stark, you know, gifts Peter his costume, which is why it's all te- high tech. And so, basically, what I'm saying is, Peter uh, wouldn't, she shouldn't be able to make this costume. I I will say to that, who gives a fuck? Yeah, I, it doesn't matter. I think I think like, so correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it like an old suit that was like partially made or something in the Amazing Spider-Man movies? Like something from it came from his parents, didn't it? in those movies it's not the first movie goes sort of into the construction he kind of looks it up and it's like he sees that you need spandex and he like sews it together um and then the second movie just has the suit from the from this move from like the raimi movies except with bigger eyes with no explanation well i think i think like with the tom holland ones it's like i i understand for like the like the cinemasins crowd of like Oh, that's a that's a plot contrivance. Like that's stupid that he could he could build it on his own. They're like, okay, I guess we'll make Tony Stark make it for him. But I think that like it doesn't upset me as much that he did that uh, as it does some people. But I think that it does kind of take something away from the character. I think you're kind of making him lose an amount of agency when it, like his personality, his being as this character is sort of taken away since it's made by someone else. And I know that like in Civil War, he already had a suit. That he made himself 
but I think immediately replacing with like, here's the better Tony Stark version. You know, here's your Iron Man suit Mark II. Like, I think that takes away. And I, I think it it also kind of, I don't think this was the, the like, reasoning behind the story decision to have Iron Man give him the suit. And again, this is a Spider-Man 1 discussion, so I don't want to get too much into Homecoming <laughs> or Civil War or whatever the fuck. But I think when you hear discuss, like discourse in comic book movies or adaptations or whatever, uh, and I think this goes for a lot of fandom stuff, it's, it's a lot of it is like they want to argue over the Wikipedia section of it, of where did this thing come from? What, how did this happen? What is this? Where does this person come from? Who are Peter Parker's parents? It, like, like that type of thing of things that don't really pertain to the story or the characters or the things that actually make you care about the movie. And I think feeding into that as later adaptations did, because it really does, feel, like, I think something that this movie does really well is it, it has so much heart throughout the entire thing. It it's like a puppy. I, I can understand maybe somebody seeing this and being like, that's not my Spider-Man, but I can't see somebody seeing this and being like, this like upset me. This I, I can't imagine me. being cynical about this movie. You know, like it's, it's, too it's like the most uncynical movie. It's, it's, it's so earnest. It's earnest. It's painfully genuine. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think, uh, our good friends at eye of the duck kind of, uh, explained it the same way speaking to the heart and soul of the movie i for the first time uh uncle ben's involvement really like i don't know made me like upset like pete like peter like sassing him in the car especially now when i know he's gonna die and i'm like damn like if these were the last words i said to my dad like i might become a superhero (laughs) um and then just and then for him to get shot and just like look into his eyes and be like Peter. Peter. I don't know. Uh I, I always kinda like made a joke out of it, but now I was like, damn, this is, you know, a a, 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 a nice origin story. That's what I love about the movie, is that it's a story. It's not a checklist of demands of we need to hit these story points. A so that we can have it have our movie make sense, and B so we can set up the next but, movie yeah, that's, or the next that's three. That's what movies. I was talking about before, is like they actually give the the characters in the world time to like be set up properly be let it be an origin story as opposed to like we this is the first spider-man movie we have to make we have to make four more and then they have to tie into infinity war or whatever later down the line so let's just get like let's get the ball rolling this one is just like this is its own thing you know it's a two it's like two hours two and a half hours or whatever and it makes use of that time to just tell like this this very nice you know whatever simple story and and i i think that it it does a really good job uh because it's self-contained i think i mean i love i love the avengers and whatever too but there's something to be said about him being the only hero in that world and like he needs to save new york or like there's something about that and i think people like love to bring up the cheesiness and everything like that and it's like the movie takes the character seriously. None of the character drama is ever played for laughs. It's it's mainly Peter being a dork or New York being kind of wacky or or J. Jonah Jameson. And that's really it in terms of the jokes. It's the the actual characters are all taken very seriously and there's really good filmmaking in the movie. Like everybody discounts Raimi 
because in the in the scene after the graduation scene where he goes upstairs and he's crying because he misses his uncle and aunt may talks to him i didn't notice this for a really long time but that whole sequence is all in one shot and there's lots of sequences like that where you know ramey is known for his camera work but he he's doing it for story purposes he's not he's not just being flashy it's it's good filmmaking and that's not you know that style and whatever it's not something you see so much of nowadays because it feels a lot more corporate you know we need this to happen for this have, to have happen. this joke come after this sad moment so that the audience isn't left feeling I, too sad for too long yeah I, I i was just gonna say with like this movie is so sentimental and like just the amount of scenes spent where you know peter and aunt may are talking in the rooms about like relatively boring stuff that like would that which would never be seen in a marvel movie today and i think if you compare this i mean i know spider-man homecoming isn't an origin movie but it it kind of functions the same way it's like your reintroduction to this character and seeing him become the spider-man we know and love it, it, I mean, Spider-Man is doing the same trope as Batman, where you told the origin story so many times now that it's kind of culturally yeah. understood, so now you can make a joke it, out of skipping over it. It's like coming it. of age after the origin, but I, I think, like, there there's so much heart and, and so much to be explored when it comes to, like, Uncle Ben's death and, like, Peter's relationship, like, with his power and, and with, you know, with his actions that led to Uncle Ben's death and everything, that, like, the most we see about it and like the new ones is like oh his suitcase has uncle ben's name on it and they mention he mentions like oh my uncle ben like one time and it's like that is such a like that's like the the core of like his entire purpose as a superhero it feels like it nowadays and i know people love holland and i love holland too in the role i just don't think they ever give him writing that he deserves it feels like they're ashamed of spider-man of him being a dork of him not having friends because even in the homecoming movies or the, the the mcu movies he's pretty liked by all of his classmates like even the flash who is supposed to be his bully everybody makes fun of him nobody takes him seriously people like peter he's got good hair he's got you know like he looks pretty good he's well groomed in 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 the raimi movies they're not afraid to say no He's a loser, and that's okay. And like he's everybody like, thinks that it's it's actually an interesting case study because I think I think you probably have about the same amount of jokes in the Raimi movies and Homecoming, and it's interesting to see where the emphasis is landed on those jokes because I think in Homecoming you have all of these jokes that are either making fun of what we know Spider-Man to be, or it's spider-man is making fun of somebody you know it's 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 they're very scared of saying no 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 no. spider-man is cool peter parker is not like the gentrification more or less absolutely spider of 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 spider-man or i like can can best be visualized through what i like to call the aunt may hotness equation and it's if you look at the actress who plays aunt may in each installment you know in this one she's, she's like a she's grandma like 80 yeah then in the next one she's like 60 and you know she's still like an aunt and nowadays marissa tomei is aunt may 
and it's like a punchline about how young and attractive she is. They make a lot of jokes about and how I... young and attractive she is. Like to the point of, it's like one of those things where you're. It's like a Dan Schneider situation where like there's like ulterior motives behind this. Like somebody, somebody in the studio is thinking too much about this. Okay, it's the same thing. Of we're embarrassed to have Spider-Man have an old aunt. Yeah. So she's got to be hot, and we got to mention it. I, it's got to be Marissa. I, I feel like that was maybe something that they just kind of wanted to have like oh like a little bit of a subversion of the character like he's this is a yeah, spider-man who which i'm fine with yeah like where you feel you feel the fact that like especially in civil war like he is however old he is like 16 or 17 in that movie like you feel that you you they really sell you on it um so i think they originally they kind of with with aunt may i think it was meant to be a one-off joke and yeah. then they made that her only character yeah and and it's like you look at Aunt May in the in this movie, and she's an actual character. Like she had a husband, and she's trying to raise Peter. And I mean, I think they give her a little bit more in the second movie to do. And, and seeing to get, getting to see her like grieve is so good in this movie. Like it's because it's it's and I, you really realize like it's not just Peter that's going through this. Like you you build this this further connection with Aunt May just because like you also see like just this sad old woman just grieving over the the loss of like her life partner so like i think that this movie it shows that like i mean these movies are for kids and i think my view of blockbusters and large-scale entertainment of this kind you know mad max fury road is not for kids but of this kind um i think it's helpful for it to be beneficial in some way and i think it's a little disingenuous to say to never really put the sadness of you know real life in there and it's very different if it's peter parker in this movie versus say iron man in iron man 3 and i think having a scene where peter parker expresses guilt and sadness over his uncle's death who he caused it's powerful and that can be powerful for a kid peter cries like two or three times in this movie and i just think that i mean i i I would rather have, you know, men expressed as people yeah. who are able to cry um, th- than just, like, you know, gods and Aquaman. I, I think it's also not a matter of, like, I, I'm not inherently against, like, superheroes being a monolith. If, okay, if I'm being honest, I'm not really much of a superhero guy to begin with. Um, but, you know, I don't have, like, an inherent issue with, like, the DC monolithic god superheroes. But I think there's a very big difference like emotional connection wise between Peter Parker in the Sam Raimi movies and Peter Parker in like, you know, the, the Tom Holland MCU movies. Cause I just think like as much as Peter and Spider-Man in the Tom Holland movies is very charming. He is a fun character. He's a funny character. Like, I just think he's, he's, I think like, like Peter being a bit of a crybaby in the Sam Raimi movies is, is something that, is endearing and it and it connects the character you know the audience to the characters more whereas like in the mcu ones he's just kind of like this quip filled machine that's like okay i need to it makes him more generic i think i think one of the things i like about peter parker is that he's different from everybody else he's 16 you know or or like a high schooler or like an early college kid yeah i guess in this movie he's 18 yeah but but like generally you know as which kind of informs the character as a whole is like he's he's literally like his whole point is that he's like I'm on my way to go get my my aunt bagels from the store, and then I see a criminal doing something, and I have to stop them, and I have to run into an alley, turn into Spider-Man, 
take care of them, get out of the outfit, and then go buy my bagels. Like, that's Spider-Man. Yeah, he, he's, he's the working-class hero. So, Parth and I were talking yesterday about, you know, superhero franchises, and I was thinking about what makes... Uh, we were talking about how there's a Batman movie for every mood. Yeah, the, you know, you got you, there's Tim Burton, there's there's the Joel Schumacher, there's the Chris Nolan, and they're all of a very different essence. And the the commonality between all those things is that it's one director who is assigned the responsibility to do like several movies in a row, either a trilogy or two movies. And it's the same case for Sam Raimi. And I think. I mean, not to give too much credit to, like, aut- auteur theory. I, I mean, I know more or less that's what they tried to do with Schneider and by giving him all, like, the, the DC helm. But in in terms of Marvel movies, uh, like, I mean, it worked out w- well with giving Taika TD, you know, uh, Thor Ragnarok. But just to give, like, an artsy director, like, a lot of money to do this, it seems impossible. And I think, I mean, calling S- Sam Raimi artsy is is even pushing it because oh. it's kind of a strange choice and believe me i have all the love in the world for sam raimi but like i think i think that giving a guy that did the evil dead movies the helm to spider-man you know like that's crazy and i don't think there's there's a series of movies other than maybe timber that came after this other than the snyder movies and nolan's batman movies that have as much of a directorial stamp on them I, as these. I, I completely agree, and I think early on you said, like, oh, um, this movie and, like, the Raimi movies as a whole feel so uh, unique, even just, like, visually, compared to, like, the Marvel movies. And I was thinking about that because it's, like, the Marvel movies kind of, like, post-Avengers, uh, post-Age of Ultron, maybe, have been pushing very hard, like, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor Ragnarok or, or Doctor Strange. Like, they're, like, colorful it's very Whedon-esque humor yeah but but even even just like visually like oh they're colorful movies like they're set in space or whatever like all this like grand cgi but when i was thinking about like what you were saying where this spider-man movie feels so visually distinct it's not visually distinct in like taika watiti's thor ragnarok and i adore taika watiti but like thor ragnarok isn't a movie that i watch and i go like oh yeah of course it's a taika watiti movie like if i watched that movie i would have never guessed that it was him directing it but if you show me Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. I'm, I'm like, my mind is going to go, oh, the dude who did Evil Dead did this. It's, it's crazy because if you look at movies, because now the, the thing for blockbusters is to get a guy that did a ten million dollar movie. Well, yeah, the, the, the Ryan Coogler, yeah, get, get, you know, the, 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 the fruit, well, the, the fruit well, the, station to the at Black the very least, Panther. Ryan Coogler did a small movie and then did Creed, which is a big movie but not as big as Black Panther. So at the very least, there's that. It's generally now they do, you made a $10 million movie, here's the keys to, like, Star Wars or something. Like, like it's it's that type of deal. And usually what happens is, when you get a guy like that, is their style is significantly dampened. And I think by getting somebody like Raimi, who A, has a very distinct style anyways, and I think had he not directed a lot of movies in between, it still would have shown through. But getting a person that sort of went through the stages, did his small, weird horror movies, did a few, did a, did a slightly bigger Western, and he did a movie. Well, he did Dark yeah. Man. I know, but, but, like, but, as but his... like he did like mid-budget movies. If you look at these movies, the the style is not in any way dampened and if any if anything it's it's increased you, you can, by the you budget can make a direct line between evil dead one and spider-man like there is yeah. i think you know you have sam raimi with evil dead one at his pure like 
this is you know we're filming this on money that we gained from like our family and and you know investors we have whatever to do with this and then spider-man like i think it's one of those things where it's not like oh i can tell that spider-man one is a sam Raimi movie because it has you know uh, tilted camera angles and and zoom-ins and stuff like that but it's just there he just has even besides those like obvious calling cards like he has all of these elements that he he really likes putting into his films like these these character moments these character themes and ideas and i think all of that is is present in evil dead one and i think if if you look at the evil dead movies it's actually interesting how good of a choice sam raimi is because i think the thing that spider-man is is parker luck of nothing good can happen to peter without something bad happening to peter and it's essentially beating up a character and that's kind of what his movies are if you look like if you look at the evil dead trilogy he's just putting bruce campbell through the ringer and it's the same thing except it's in some ways a less physical ringer it's more of an emotional ringer but but it's the same thing and i keep saying this but it feels like they were making a movie it doesn't feel like they were making tv which is what a lot of superhero movies feel like nowadays if you listen to the commentary you can hear him and toby talk about yeah you know we were thinking about what peter's house should look like and we had these ideas and we had we were thinking about the direction of the story and you feel like it's there's authorship over the movie and it wasn't sony saying we need this i think it's a matter of like like wandavision has like just recently came out and so many people were talking about on on twitter or whatever and i heard so many people saying like oh man like the things that wandavision is setting up now are going to be so exciting you know, in the future or whatever. And there's, I think there's such an immediacy to, to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies where it doesn't feel like it's like, well, exciting uh, things are happening now. Yeah. Like we, we don't have a contract for three movies. We know, we don't know if we're going to have Spider-Man appear 10 movies down from now. Let's just have fun with this. Let's make this a movie movie and, and do Spider-Man here and now. Well, I guess that is kind of the question is was Spider-Man one made in a bottle? Because I feel like a lot of the plot lines, you know, are kind of meant meant to operate over an arc. Yes and no. I think it, it was it, it was planned to do sequels. I don't think you make a movie like Spider-Man without thinking of sequels. But I don't think if you look at this movie and you look at the amazing Spider-Man, it, it, it's very clear which one was designed to set up more sequels this at the it, it, its story is one contained story it's not you know we have to have this element because we want to set up ant may being a super spy or you know something which is something that was actually happening in amazing spider-man 2 uh what do you think is the strongest or like most rewatchable scene and is there anything that you would like consider like cutting from this movie i think the strongest scene can i give a sequence yeah, Parth, you know. You, uh, you fuck you. This is my podcast. Um, or our, oh. our podcast, sorry. <clears throat> um, anyways. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think the ending sequence of the funeral is the strongest scene in the movie. I think it gets everything right. I think it's, it's soap opera-y, and it shows Peter choosing to be, you know, to give up the thing he wants the most, and... I, and then the 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 climax of it all with the Spider-Man swing is great. I I mean I agree with you that for the movie to operate, like he has to give up Mary Jane. Um, it would just be too many good things in a row 
it, it would be too much riding off into the sunset. Parker luck. But my, my 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 problem with it is this, and it totally makes it more rewarding at the end of Spider-Man Two when it finally does happen. Um, but in the first Spider-Man, when Peter and Mary Jane are just friends, Mary Jane is nearly killed three <laughs> times. So, so my question is, if they start dating, how much worse can it get? And I wanted to prepare for the rebuttal, so I thought. How many times in Spider-Man 2 and 3 is Mary Jane captured? And in the next two movies, she's only captured once. And in Spider-Man 3, they're together. So her numbers are better when they're dating well, than when they're not dating. She's closer to the chest, you know? I, I, I have one more thing. So you know how they have the famous upside-down kiss in this, and then they kiss at the end, and then Mary Jane, like, touches her lips. And it's very much like, oh, did she realize that who Spider-Man is? And then the whole next movie... It goes back to her not knowing who he I is. I think we can discuss that next time with Spider-Man 2, but I will say this. I don't think it's... I think it's meant to be... They even say it in the commentary. It's meant to be ambiguous. And I also think it's supposed to be ambiguous in the second movie. Uh, up until the point in which it happens, I think it's meant to be... Is, is she? Does she know... And is she playing coy? So I think my problem is that in in the second movie, so much time, like a subplot is Mary Jane being like, I have to kiss all the men in my life to find out which one is Spider-Man. And That's she not already a subplot kissed the in the hu- movie. Basically, we- she already kissed Peter. And then she's like, oh, if we only kissed, I would know. You already kissed, guys. I, I think Parf is probably the resident expert on Spider-Man 2 here. I'm, I'm sorry to say, Trent. I haven't seen it in, in a long time. I, I, I know that I'm, that I'm outranked. I love uh, any scene, and I am frankly shocked that we haven't mentioned him yet, with Willem Dafoe. Um, I love Willem Dafoe in general. Mm. Give one. I... Um, I know, it's hard, isn't it? It's a tough one. Like I think, And I gave I think... the one scene in the movie that definitively has no Willem Dafoe, didn't I? Like he's fucking <laughs> yeah. dead. Oh, yeah. It's his funeral. He, he's under. He's yeah. underground. Um, I. I mean, I think. Sleep. I think my my immediate reaction is like, oh, him talking in the mirror. Like, I think that's such a great scene. I I love that scene. But I really really like um, like the the scene leading up to like him going into the chamber and like using like the gas or whatever it was that like made him mm. cool. Um, Back to formula. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Willem Dafoe is like he's just having so much fun in that movie um and and i think you can really feel it from him and i think he's just giving it his all and it's not it's not like the kind of fun where he's almost like dismissive of it and he's like i'm just gonna have fun with this like he's having fun with it and he's he's doing his best like he is a shakespearean actor doing it and i love it he knows he knows that he's supposed to be a cartoon character and and even behind the mask and like Willem Dafoe like is able to like ar- articulate through his like his body language like he I don't know he he's so active even though you can't see him for most of the time and like you know that it's him behind the suit they they say that in the commentary that like he wanted to the suit had well to that's why they open up the eye the eye slits well but even beyond that he he had to. Uh, they had to change the costume because he wanted to be in the costume for like the majority of the stunt work because he wanted to physically do it. And I think Sam Raimi or Toby said that like, that's like a difference between people that go straight into movies and people that did theater because theater, you have to work with your body and you can see how much of a difference it makes. Cause it's like the way he moves when he's Norman and the way he moves when he's the green goblin, completely different. The way he moves his face is completely different. 
I, I read that he did 90% of his own stunt work, and if you guys scroll to the bottom of the document, you can see the original Green Goblin mask, which was, like, animatronic-based. Uh, no, I think it's really cool, too, and it's, like, exactly from the comic book, but I like the sort of, like, sleek, athletic, like, gear I, they went with. It seemed, like, more military-realistic, like, since I was, like, supposed to be I, I the think, origin. I think... From like from like the, the the designer in me, I I just really love the look of like the animatronic mask that they originally had. But I think, as as like a story or as like in actual in the actual film itself, it would have been weird. For I don't know if like within the context of the film, this would have been like a mask or like his face would have changed. Um, but either way, I don't think it would have worked as well. I think it would have been a mask. Okay. So so I. I'd say my favorite superhero movies are Spider-Man and Batman, partly because of how, like, tactile they feel. Like, even though these people... Or just Batman movies in general. Because, you know, it's more or less... It's the most believable. Like, no one is, like, from another planet. And, you know, all of the origin stories are somehow, like, science-y, which I'm more attuned to than, like, magic. And... Uh, I, I think that, like, decisions to make, it, it just feels like the most realistic, even though it's, like, also, like, the most over the top. I don't know. It's, I, it's hard I, to explain. I also think it's good because it, just, if it was, if it was an animatronic face, that would have disconnected you from Willem Dafoe's performance. It would have, yeah. it would have put a layer on top of that. I, I mean, credit to Tobey Maguire because I feel like the same compliment can be let, lent to him that he has a very specific, yeah. like, body movement. stiff body but body movement, and you can tell that it isn't, like, he a didn't even need Trent, a do you have a favorite CGI's. scene? CGI's. For the sake of diversity, I'd say, like, the bridge scene into the... I'd say if I'm flipping through the channels, what I'm most likely to, to stop and sit down is... The bridge scene into, like, the final showdown where, you know, the, the, the goblin, like, kills himself with his, uh, with his glider. And uh, I, I was listening to some commentary, and it was Sam Raimi talking about how this is, like, a kid's movie and how every time the villain's death has to be self-inflicted. And I thought, wow, that really is the case to every Spider-Man yeah. villain. That in some securitous way, they find a way to commit suicide or have accidental death or, I mean, in Doc Ock's case, it's, you know, it's kind of for, for good. But uh, I guess Spider-Man has a, has a no-killing rule I, like Batman, I, I or maybe think just because it's rated PG. I think the Green Goblin, I think, I, I'm pretty sure that the first Spider-Man movie was, like, the first time I ever saw, like, a death taken seriously on film. Like, for some reason, when I was a kid, I didn't really remember Uncle Ben's death that much. But, like, I remember, like, I was practically scarred by uh, the Green era, by Green Goblin dying. Like, it was just, it was like, there's blood, you know, he gets impaled and all this. And I obviously, I saw the movie when I was really young. Uh, but I just remember being, like, so kind of gobsmacked. Like, oh, my God, like, they can do that in this. I think Don't Tell Harry is such, like, yeah. an iconic last line. And just when he sees that he's done, he just goes, oh. Oh, or, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he goes, I, oh. I... oh. Peter. 
Don't tell Harry. You know what was a scene that I was actually impressed with on, on rewatching? It was a... Uh, I really liked the, the Thanksgiving scene. I didn't remember that um, from when Again, I was a Again, that's a scene that would get cut. Yeah, but that's right? a great scene. Yeah. Wait, so so what what'd you like about it? Just like Norman like, I, seeing I just think, like, the, the figuring out who's well, Spider-Man, basically? Well, for one thing, I, I, just, I really like whenever movies are able to kind of um, pair up characters Stop. that you don't expect. Well, yeah, that. But also like pair up characters that you don't really expect to interact in the movie, like Aunt May and, and Norman um and stuff like that i think it's just i think it's uh really interesting and it's one of those scenes where i feel like uh the like characters secretly know about each other's thing they did like kind of tension scenes are very overdone but it's so well executed in this and i think the the tension is really really good and it's also just it's it manages to be like tense and just fun to watch at the same time so is it time uh as in uh, wait I, I, let me check my watch what time are you insinuating it is is it is it rating o'clock is it uh i'm gonna stop you right there uh, it is ratings o'clock it, uh the, the only additional thing i wanted to say was that the the bridge scene uh is a lot like the you know the finale of batman forever and then that got me thinking about how you uh about your childhood crush on Nicole Kidman in Batman Forever. That's true. I don't think that's a nitpick. Yep. Um, no, I mean, I was told not to nitpick, so I thought I thought I might as well just, you know, expose Parth. <laughs> just a bit. All right, I'm down to rate it. All right. Uh, Alex, our guest, you go. Oh, God. Um, Out of ten. I, oh, there's a reason I haven't updated my letterbox in, like, a year. I'm so bad at rating movies now. Um... I feel like emotionally, like as as a movie that I've had for so long in my life, I want to give it like, like an eight or a nine, probably like a nine. But I feel like, upon rewatching it, as much as I did enjoy it, I think it's maybe like a very comfortable seven. Yeah. So so an eight. No, like a comfortable seven. Like that's not an eight. No, 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 no. Like it's a seven, but you said that like from an enjoy you, oh. you gave it a nine as well so i, I the average of that would be eight I, I don't know i i i'm i'm kind of against rating movies like too too high like too brazenly even though it's stupid it's all arbitrary who cares the random numbers but i'm You're gonna right, say it seven. is stupid and arbitrary i think i'm gonna go with an eight just because i was watching spider-man 2 the other day and i was like all right this is considered the best one so if this is the high watermark uh, and I still think Spider-Man 2 has some flaws, so I, I'm considering that a 9. And I think Trent, you this... can't give away your rating for Spider-Man 2. Oh no, what will the viewers Well, I think this is an 8 in comparison. Having this spoiled for them. I know. Our our, our reputation is soiled. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'd give this an 8 as well. I might give it an 8.5, but uh, I'm going to give it an 8 for now. Because there's still some... I think it moves a little too fast, and I think there's some wonky effects... Uh, which I don't generally care about or anything, but it's just something something to think about. The mannequin um, especially, scene is, is very I funny. don't care about that. I don't care about that. That part's great. What? When wait, when wait, she's wait, holding on to him scene? like as they're swinging after the like the parade stuff. If you look, it's pretty clearly a mannequin that she's holding very on to. A mannequin. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to give it an 8. I have, uh, I have one. I have a fun fact before we go. Please. 
So I was watching Spider-Man with my sister the other day, and one of her friend, and it was you know the the cafeteria scene where Peter, with his newfound spider sense, like catches all the stuff in the lunch tray, and someone there said, "You know that that's a practical effect," and I said. That's impossible. And then I looked it up, and apparently it took 156 takes, and they had to put a sticky substance on the on the tray. But it, oh. but it was real, all right. It's not Kubrick surprising. right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have a few more while we're here. The Spider-Man font is the same font used for the PS3 originally, and then they changed the PS3 um, logo because it was the Spider-Man font. So apparently, this shocked me. Uh, they used a real spider, and they anis the anath fuck shit. They anisized it, and they painted it red and blue, and uh, that yeah, I didn't know that. And then so James Franco and Tobey Maguire have like a famous rivalry after the Spider-Man trilogy, and apparently it's because James Franco described Tobey Maguire's features as quote frog-like. <laughs> um, and I thought it was funny because they're so chummy on the Spider-Man three, uh, like uh, cast commentary. But I, I, uh, I, I'm I, sure I... it went down over over. I mean, the first movie came out like five years before Spider-Man three, so I'm sure I'm yeah, sure I, they I, mended I, pads or whatever. I think yeah. Uh, I guess we should. Trent, oh, do you mind? We should talk about what what comes next. Yeah. So next week. Uh, we've been keeping this a secret, but uh, next week we're going to be In talking secret, with um, Dave Cyrus. He was co-writer of The King of Staten Island, and he's Pete Davidson's writing partner. So check that out. Yeah, and he wrote he wrote on SNL and stuff, and we asked him a bunch of questions, and he answered. Them. Trent, do you mind if I and... do you mind if I give us an outro? Please. Yeah, uh, sure. I just want to thank our guest for this week alex lane for coming by thank you well i just i just want to thank you for giving me the the honored opportunity to uh speak with all of you today about spider-man 2002 and what i think i'll leave you guys with also uh follow us on all social media please uh it'd be really helpful yeah and i guess i guess you can like and rate and subscribe of, of our all show things. that would that would just I help also us recommend would, like, appreciate that. it if you did if you if you did those things. I, oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I think a great thought to leave you all with is Bone Saw is ready. I've got you for three minutes. Three minutes of playtime. I didn't sign up for a cage match. Out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, it would be an absolute sin if no one did a bone saw impression by the end of this episode. What's your name, kid? The human spider. The human spider, that's it? That's the best you got? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. The sum of $3,000 will be paid to the terrifying, the deadly, the amazing Spider-Man! My name's the human spider. I don't care. Get out there. No, he got my name wrong. Get out there, you moron. (laughs) Mary. 
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.